Our sermon this morning is on paying taxes, talking about relating to the civil government. Uh, it just In the Lord's providence, we kind of landed on this, this text on the 4th of July. We're in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. Turn there in your Bibles. If you have them, if you're using a pew Bible, uh, then you can find Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26 on page 826. So go ahead and turn there. And we're going to, like I said, spend a few minutes talking about uh, how we as Christians are to live in a society. How do we interact with other people in a society? How do we interact with civil government, taxes, laws? Do we have to pay taxes or not? Do we have to obey the laws or not? Um, right? Uh, Jesus kind of is, is approached, and they're going to ask him these kinds of questions. And they're, they're questions that we all have to wrestle with. All Christians, all people, all citizens of societies have to wrestle with, right? How do we how do we interact with the country that we live in? How do we how do we interact with them when they when there are laws that maybe we don't agree with or we don't like or we don't want to follow them? What what authority does the civil government have over us? Right? How do we kind of negotiate how we submit to God's authority on the one hand, but our nation's authority on the other hand? What if they um, you know conflict with each other? What if the the laws of the government uh, you know we find objectionable or they go against our religious beliefs? Right, real questions that real Christians have to answer and have to wrestle with, and that's what we're going to talk through this morning on the Fourth of July. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter twenty, verses nineteen to twenty-six. Then I'm going to pray, and we're going to get to get to work. It says the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he told this parable against them, but they feared the people, so they watched him. And they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, that you show no partiality, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their craftiness. And he said to them, show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to obey you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to be salt and light in the world that we live. And so we pray that you would give us insight and, and, and um, discernment into how to uh, obey you and glorify you, specifically when it relates to you know being a citizen in a society, being a you know being a, a member of this nation and being under the authority of its government. We pray that you would um, give us grace and help us, and we pray that you would use this text and our consideration of it this morning to that end. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Verse 19, the scribes, chief priests, sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. Religious leaders are mad. They're like, 
like red hot. They want to do physical violence. To, they're ready to lay, lay hands on him, punch him, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. The parable that they're, refusing, that they're referring to is the one that we looked at last week, uh, chapter 20, verses 9 through 18, the parable of the wicked tenants. There's a wealthy vineyard owner. And that vineyard owner rents his, his vineyard out to uh, these tenants. And he says, you guys tr- uh, transact, do business, turn a profit, and then uh, we'll share in the profits together. And then they, with, they, don't, get, they don't pay the, the, the profits to the vineyard owner. And so Jesus says, what then is going to happen? The vineyard owner is going to come back. He's going to destroy these wicked tenants. And he's going to give the vineyard that was entrusted to them to other people. And so the, the, the people that, Jesus are, are, that are hearing Jesus, the religious leaders are thinking... That is offensive. That is, uh, you know, that doesn't sit well with me. The idea that I'm going to be destroyed by God and the idea that the nation of Israel and the covenant blessings that God has given to Israel are going to be given to Gentiles is offensive and is scandalous. The idea that I have abdicated my responsibility to lead and teach and disciple and care for the people of God is offensive. So the religious leaders rightly discern that Jesus told this parable about him, right? They're, they're, they hear Jesus tell this parable and they're thinking that was a shot. That was a, that was a subtweet, right? Like you were trying to zing us uh, and, and we are, and so they want, they, they're upset and they, they want to become violent and physically combative, but they can't because they feared the people. They sought to lay hands on Jesus. They, they knew that he was talking about them. They were angry about it, but they feared the people. So they, they, just like they rightly discerned that Jesus was talking about them and kind of zinging them, they also rightly discerned that Jesus had the support of the people. And so uh, they might want to kill him, but they, they were uh, terrified of the prospect of losing the support of the, of the people. They hate Jesus because he represents a threat to their power. But they also hate losing the support of the masses because that's where they derive their power. They're in a pickle. They're in a little pickle here. So they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. So the, the religious leaders realize that... Um, Going against Jesus at this moment would be career suicide, right? Everyone loves Jesus. We need to get rid of him, but we can't be the ones who are seen trying to get rid of him because that will, will lose the support. We need, we need a fall guy, right? We need, we need to get some people, send them in our place to go and kind of get Jesus out of the way. And that way, if everything blows up, if, if you know, people are upset that, that Jesus is trying to be marginalized or silenced, we'll be outside of the blast radius. Someone else is going to take the fall for us. So they're greedy, they're power hungry, they're vindictive, they're willing to stop at nothing to get what they want, and they're also cowards, right? They're, they're afraid of rejection, they don't want their name, like, they want to be critical, and they want Jesus out of the way, but they don't want their name attached to it out of fear that it might come back. It's the epitome of what everyone kind of, you know, every bad boss you've ever had, or every corrupt, you know, uh, person in, in power or in leadership, it's what, it's what everyone hates about organized religion, it's guys like this. Right, who, who want to consolidate power and they want to use that power to lord it over others and exploit them and take things from them. And whenever they see someone that is a threat to their power, they want to uh, you know, get rid of that person. 
corrupt leaders, career bureaucrats. They're not sincere about their beliefs. They don't love their neighbors. They're all about power and money, and they'll take advantage of anyone and everything to get anyone and everyone to get more and more of it. That's these religious leaders. So they send these spies who come up to Jesus and they're pretending to be sincere, but they're like, you know, they're like wearing a wire, right? They've got a little, like a little hidden microphone or something. They're trying to catch Jesus on the record, saying something foolish or embarrassing so they can use it to discredit him. They say, teach, and then they start like kind of with flattery. Teacher, we know that you, oh, you like, uh, we've been sent, we've been paid and sent to come and trick you and deceive you and to catch you and embarrass you. But we're going to start by, we know that you speak rightly, you teach rightly, you show no partiality, right? You truly teach the way of God, right? Trying to kind of get his defenses, you know, lowered. You're awesome. We love you. Everyone loves you. Why don't you can speak freely here? We're all among friends. And then they kind of throw the question, is it, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? That's like the, and so, so that's the, that's the fastball, right? Up, up until now, you know, we've been like sandbagging a little bit, trying to act like we're more friendly than we're, but now here's like the laser that we're going to try to, you know, hit you with and embarrass you with. Cause there's no, there's no good situation to, to that, right? There's no, good, there's no good answer to the question, should you pay your taxes or, or not? And less so in first century Israel than even today. As polarized as our you know, nation, our society is today, uh, and as, as you know, touchy as like, political uh, issues might be, or having to kind of you know, nuance the answers and things like that, it was even more so back then. We've, got, we've kind of rehearsed the, the social you know, geopolitical landscape a few times throughout the book of Luke, but it's worth repeating again. Uh, the nation of Israel is under the violent, oppressive domination, occupation of the, the Roman Empire. It was a precarious place to be. The Roman Empire was like, you know, I've used the, it's like the Borg from Star Trek, right? They just kind of would assimilate. They would kind of expand and assimilate everyone into them, and they would just kind of grow ever, ever more expansive. And they would kind of, you know, take on these civilizations and cities and villages and places, and they'd say, you're now part of us. You're now part of Rome. Uh, you have to pay us this uh, exorbitant tax rate, um, but in, in, you know, in exchange, we'll protect you from anyone that might try to attack you, which, uh, you know, no one would dare attack someone that was kind of, you know, under the protection of the Roman empire, but the taxes were, were oppressive. They were, uh, you know, so, so, and, and then they would use those taxes to fund their army, to build a bigger army with more deadly weapons. And so the very taxes that you are paying against your will, usually through, uh, the venue of a tax collector who was one of your own brethren who was turned and flipped and became kind of a traitor against his own people. So that guy is kind of pointing all of these Roman guards with all of these, you know, deadly weapons. That guy's got money. That guy's got money. That guy's probably got money hidden in his, you know, brother's you know, 401k, go get it over there, right? And so they're extracting all of the money that you have, using it to buy more weapons, more guards, more, more people. And it was just a, a, a brutal, it was a vicious cycle that people hated. 
it was a lot like slavery, right? You work really hard, but all the profit goes to someone else. There's no freedom, no liberty. If you even think about speaking out against Rome, then there's going to be swift punishment. You know, you watch movies, uh, Spartacus, right? Like, they, you know, kill all these guys. I want just to make an example out of, of people. Most of the time, people would just reply out of fear of being punished. Sometimes they'd get pushed to the brink. Uh, in fact, the, the holiday Hanukkah, that's celebrated uh, in Judaism today, kind of uh, is, is, uh, was st- it was in remembrance of, it kind of commemorates uh, a moment where the nation of Israel had kind of gotten pushed to the brink a few, century, you know, few centuries earlier. Um, a, a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes was persecuting the Jews, and he went so far as to, you know, a lot of times the Jews could say, we can handle taxes, we can handle Roman occupation, whatever we need to do, but uh, Antiochus Epiphanes said, I'm going to, um, like, put an end to worship in the temple. I'm going to come and I'm going to put idols to the Greek god of Zeus in the temple to God. I'm going to slaughter a pig on the altar of incense in the, you know, in the temple that was reserved for the worship of God, you know, which is, which is, you know, a big violation of Jewish law. So that led to the, the Maccabean revolt under the leadership of a guy named Judah Maccabee. And he, similar to how to Jesus, he kind of came and he cleansed the temple Right? Kind of like Jesus cleansed the temple just a couple passages ago. Uh, Judah Maccabee cleanses the temple of these idols and uh, all of this like, you know, uh, you know, profane images and things that had been put into, the, into the, the temple. And it was like Israel was, you know, kind of wit, under his leadership saying, we are tired of Roman occupation, Roman rule. We're tired of being taxed to death. We're tired of being told that we cannot worship God. We're tired of being intimidated by uh, soldiers with deadly weapons. And so all these culture wars are kind of, re- are like, are happening in the nation of Israel, right? How compliant should we be to this tyrannical Roman government? How, uh, you know, resistant should we be? How much should we fight back? Should we just accept this new reality, pay all of our taxes, live in poverty, bow the knee to Caesar? Or should we fight back and, and revolt, right? Sick, simper Tyrannus, right? We're, if they pay a tax, if they impose a tax we don't want, then we just won't pay it. If they impose a law we don't want to follow, we just won't follow it. You had Roman sympathizers you know, who kind of said, just you go along to get along. You had some revolutionaries who were super militant and always wanted to, to have a, a fight, and so that's kind of the question that Jesus is getting asked here. It's like, where are you in the culture war, right? Are you pro-Rome or are you pro-Israel? Uh, are you anti-Rome? Because you look kind of like a rev- like you look a lot like Judah Maccabee who kind of did this revolt, you know, a, you know, a handful of decades prior. You look a lot like him. You're talking a lot about the kingdom of God, which seems to imply that God is the king and that Caesar is not the king. So is that who you are? Are you, are you going to overthrow the Roman Empire, cast off the shackles that they've put us in so that we can be free and worship God the way that we have intended to be worshipped? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Of course, if he says no, they're going to run and tattle. Right? Go to the Roman authorities. Listen to what Jesus... Like, look, guys, we, are, we love Rome. We're happy to pay our taxes. We're glad to have this symbiotic relationship with you. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, God is king, not Caesar. God has all authority, not Rome. 
He says that people should not pay taxes. He's a threat to the stability of the region. He's, he needs to be silenced. He needs to be disposed of. Go and, and, get, and get him. Of course, if he says yes, then they're going to go public with that too. They're going to go to the people who are being taxed to death and say, as I don't know if you heard this or not, but Jesus is pro-Rome. He's basically a tax collector. He is pro-Rome. He thinks Rome is good. He's glad that they're taxing you to death. He supports their oppressive, militaristic tendencies. He thinks that you should be living in fear and poverty. Jesus hates you and he loves Rome. What do you think about that? How do you respond to, to that? No one liked Roman taxes. People, no one likes taxes today. People didn't like taxes then. So the spies are trying to back Jesus into a corner, right? get him to either uh, incriminate himself with the Roman government or to alienate himself from the people of Israel. Kind of a catch-22. Verse 23, but Jesus perceived their craftiness. Right? He sees what's going on. He's not fooled by any of this. He's not naive. Right? He's, he's, he's not going to allow them to back him into a corner like they're trying to do. He says, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said, all right, well then render unto Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. Render unto God the things that are God's. Basically, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like play, I'm, I'm not going to dignify your question with a response. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you trap me into giving one of two, you know, preset answers, right? You know, when did you stop beating your wife, right? And this microphone right in your face. Like, I'm not going to answer that question the way that you set it up because there's no way to answer it well. So instead, he kind of goes right to the heart level and kind of gives us an opportunity to think carefully about, about it. The Roman denarius had a picture of Caesar on it. It was made under his authority. It represents an economic system that he oversees. It allowed people to conduct business, pay for goods and services, leverage credit and debt. So Jesus is saying, you are a part of that system. You don't stand outside of it. You're a part of a society. You operate in it. You're not independent or autonomous, right? You're a member of a society. You have to interact with other members of a society, and in all likelihood, that society is going to be made up of some people who believe like you do and think like you do, but a bunch of other people who believe other things and have different preferences and beliefs and, and worldviews. Same is true today, right? The, the, the society is not always going to be made up of all Christians. It's not going to be made up of people who believe like we do, act like we do, prefer the things that we do. We have to live within that system. Part of what it means to be in a society is that there has to be systems and processes and rules and there have to be authorities that we all recognize and we all submit to whose job it is is to make and enforce those rules and those processes. That's what it means to be a citizen living in a society. And Jesus says, you're a part of it. You're a part of a society. You don't stand outside of it. You're not exempt from the rules that apply to the citizens of it. You have to render to the society and to its authorities the things that are due to it. In other words, you have to obey the law. You have to, you have to pay your taxes. Christians don't have the luxury of saying, I, uh, unlike everyone else, 
who their beliefs and preferences may or may not comport with that of the society at large. Unlike them, I have this special exemption. I answer to a higher calling, a higher authority named God, so therefore I don't have to answer to the government. I don't have to submit to its authority. I can do whatever I want. If there's a law I don't like, I'll just disregard it. If there's a tax I don't like, I just won't pay it. If you're a Christian, you cannot live like that. You cannot be a law unto yourself. Jesus expressly forbids it. It's expressly forbidden elsewhere in Scripture as well. Romans chapter 13, we read this from the Apostle Paul. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur God's judgment. Rulers are not a terror for those who do for to good conduct, but to bad. Would you want to live without fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good. You'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes to authorities and ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. God made you. God put you in the society where you are. God put the governing authorities over you. And God is calling you to acknowledge their authority. If you don't do that, then you're, you're not just sinning against the government. You're sinning against God who, who put you there for that reason. You have to answer to God for that on the day of judgment. So Christians who are seeking to live in accordance with and be obedient to the Bible are going to be model citizens of the society where, that they, where they live. There'll be a joy to lead. They'll engage. They'll participate. They'll make their voice be heard. But they'll be model citizens. Which, raises, which kind of raises the question or kind of provokes some Christians to ask, well, what if the government's bad? Right? Like, I, okay, I get, like, you know, what, what if, uh, it, let's be honest, it's easy to submit to authority it's easy to defer to someone else and listen and obey when they do when they're when you agree with them when they're doing everything that you would I was you know when I was single I was the best roommate ever my roommate loved me he thought I walked on water and we never had a conflict at all we just I mean we just got along swimmingly then have a I'd live by myself so I was my own roommate that guy was he thought so highly of me and he and I, we never, you know, I never got mad if he didn't do the dishes. He never got, you know, we, we got along. We never conflicted about what we wanted to watch on TV. I was happy to defer to myself and submit to myself because we agreed on everything, right? It's not until you are, you know, in close proximity with someone where there's a, a disagreement, where you're confronted or where demands are made on you or someone rebukes you or someone calls you to do something you don't want to do. That's when submitting to authority becomes difficult. Don't, don't judge your ability to submit to authority on how well you can do it when everything, when you agree with everything that's being asked of you. 
judge your ability to submit to authority by how well you submit and obey when you don't agree with what's being asked of you. Or when you think it's wrong, or when you think it's unjust. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering, not justly, but suffering unjustly. So Christians are called to obey the government, regardless of whether you think the government is good or bad, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. God's called you to obey and sometimes even to suffer and endure in honoring the government. That's not all that Jesus says. Let's go back to to Luke 20. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but then render to God the things that are God's. So Christians are called to obey the government, obey laws, pay taxes. But it's not just the government. We're also to render to God what is God? So, so kind of think about it, right? The, the, the logic would go, whose image is on the denarius? Caesar's. Okay, well then, in a sense, that belongs to Caesar. You owe that to Caesar. Render it to Caesar. What's the question that's being implied then? Whose image is on you? Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God made you to bear his image. You have money. has pictures of dead presidents on it. That represent, you know, the, the government and, and our, our uh, owing some portion of our money to the government. You're also a person with a soul, an intellect, an emotion, and will, just like God is that. So you, you, you bear God's image, and therefore you owe yourself. Your, every part of you, you owe to God in obedience and discipleship and worship, which is why Paul says in Romans 12, he says, I appeal for you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Don't, don't present uh, an animal as a, as a sacrifice. Don't present uh, some portion of your money as a sacrifice. Present your bodies. Present your whole, the entirety of who you are, your, yourself. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is not music that we sing. It's not money. I mean, it, it's not less than those things, but it's not. Uh, it's more than them. It's not music or money that we give. It's it's giving all of who we are. Money, possessions, family, relationships, time, talent, effort, ability, re- reputation, ego, dreams, desires. God wants you to give all of those things to him as a sacrifice of worship. Surrender unto Caesar, the civil government, that which is owed to them. Render unto God, that which is owed to them. And Christians are called to do both. Love God, 
honor God, worship God, obey God, follow God in discipleship, and obey the government. Respect law enforcement officers, respect government officials, people who hold office, pray for them, honor them, obey their laws. But it does kind of leave a question lingering in the air a little bit. Which is, uh, what? presumably there will be a time, or maybe we have seen a time in the, the past, or we've experienced, what, what about the moments when those things are incompatible? Right? It's easy to say, obey God and obey the government when they're aligned. Right? When, you know, when there's laws against murder and perjury and theft, well, those are easy because they're ten, those are in the Ten Commandments. So, like, no problem. I'll obey those and I'll be obeying God at the same time. Piece of, piece of cake. Or, or if the laws from the government have no bearing on the law of God uh, at, at all, you know, but, but what about when uh, the law of God and the law of the government are incompatible? What about when the government passes a law that conflicts with God's law? What about times when if you want to obey the law of God, it would require you to break the law of the civil government. Or if you want to obey the law of the civil government, it would require you to break God's law. Well, we, there's several examples of that in Scripture. One that we'll look at is in Acts uh, chapters 2, 3, 4, and, and 5. Got a couple of verses, but basically in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit at Pentecost comes down on the people of God. Peter preaches this powerful sermon. Everyone's getting saved, following Jesus, walking in fellowship and community together. Acts 3, Peter and John heal a crippled man. He gets up and walks. Peter preaches another powerful sermon. In Acts chapter 4, the governing authorities are getting a little bit uneasy about all of this stuff that's, that's happening. And they arrest Peter and John. And they say, in chapter 18, they say they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Right? Slap on the wrist, warning, don't do it again. Then they let them go. In Acts chapter 5, they do it. In direct contradiction to what they were just told about not teaching about Jesus, they start teaching again, signs, wonders, healing people, preaching the gospel. They're promptly arrested again. And the officials say, hey, we, we strictly charged you not to teach in Jesus' name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They respond, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a cross, on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We must obey God rather than men. So, you know, here I stand. Right? I can do no other. Do what you will. Put me in jail. Execute me. It doesn't matter. I have to obey the law of God. That's my first and top priority. Right? We'll obey the laws of the civil government, providing that doing so does not mean that we will be breaking the law of God. And when they conflict with one another, we have to obey the law of God first. So if you're a Christian, you have to obey the law of God. As a matter of first priority. If you don't, that's sin. And then you have to obey the laws of the government. Whether you like them or not. Whether you feel that they're just or not. Because God says that you have to. Obeying the government is part of what it means to obey God. And if the two conflict, then you obey God. And you just let the chips fall where they may. 
So if the government says you can't share the gospel with your neighbor like they did to Peter and John, you do it anyway. Because to, to refuse to do so would be a violation of Matthew chapter 28. If the government says you can't pray like they did in Daniel chapter 6, you pray anyway, like Daniel did, because God commanded us to. If the government says you, you have to worship some other idol or something other than God, like they did in Daniel chapter 3, then you don't do it. You refuse, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, because God commanded you to. These things are very clear. Obey the word of God first and always. Obey the government, as long as it doesn't mean that you're disobeying God. And again, those things are all very clear, but there's times when it's not clear. Right? There's times when it's difficult to discern whether obeying the law of God would be... Dis- oh, yeah, whether obeying the civil government would be disobeying the law of God, or obeying the law of God would be disobeying the civil government. Right? I mean, any number of examples. Right? Uh, Government says you have to have health care, you have to pay into the system, the system's used to fund abortion. So does that mean that if I'm paying into the system like I'm required to by law, that I'm actively funding abortion? Is that the same as me personally having an abortion, right? Is, is that a place where I should disobey uh, the civil government to follow God's law? Or the government says, you know, the government wants people to be treated with respect, so it legislates against hate crimes. It says, in, you know, and, you know, that might mean that you're not allowed to talk about a biblical sexual ethic because it's a hate crime. So should we stop sharing the gospel or should we share it in a different way? Or is that a place where we should disobey God's law, uh, where we should disobey civil government uh, in order to obey God's law? They're difficult questions. I'm not going to answer them here. We can talk about them afterwards. But um, there's, there's difficult gray areas and ambiguous places that require context and nuance. Those questions are best answered with a well, A, in a community with a multiplicity of wise counselors who love God and can help you think through them. So, we kind of have like this like cascading, you know, like this, this set of, right? love God, honor God, obey God, obey the government. When they conflict, obey God. When it's unclear whether they conflict or not, seek counsel, study, pray, listen, learn. But, you know, I thought about this a lot this week. I think there's also another category other than when God's law and the civil government's law directly contradict one another or when they appear to contradict one another. And that's, um, you know, this idea of like like authoritarian governmental overreach. I think there might be some things... Uh, that the government might require or legislate or forbid, that it wouldn't necessarily be sinful to obey the law. Um, right? You, you can't say for sure that to obey it would be to be sinning against God. But even still, perhaps the government is just overstepping their bounds a little. And, and maybe civil disobedience would be permitted for Christians in that area. You know, um, if the government says, I want you to marry that person. Right, and like that, they're you're a believer, they're a believer, so there's nothing unlawful about marrying that person, but you just don't want to. Then I think it would be okay to be like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to mind your own business, government. Like that's 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 an overreach, or you have to go to that church, right? Like maybe it's a good church, preaches the gospel, believes the Bible, and the government says, I, you, you 
are mandated to attend church A. And you say, well, I'd rather go to church B, and that's, you know, you're not, you're not allowed to tell me to do that, so I'm not going to do it. Or, I mean, again, you go through the bowels of history, right? Government says if you're Jewish, you have to register, wear this star on your clothing, come with us to this concentration camp where you'll be experimented on and, and you know, killed. You could say, no, I'm not. It, it wouldn't be sinful for me to do that. I'd be the victim, not the perpetrator. So I wouldn't be sinning to do that, but I'm also just not going to do it. I'm going to go hide in an attic and, and, you know, hope for the best. Or, you know, black people have to drink from these water fountains or sit in these assigned seats in the back of restaurants and businesses. And people say, we're not going to do, like, you have overstepped your, your bounds. It wouldn't be sinful for me to sit in the back if I want to. Wouldn't be sinful for me to drink from that water fountain if I want to. I'm free to do it, but I'm not going to do it because that's an abuse of power and uh, it's, it's an overreach. So I, think, I think there's space for Christians to practice civil disobedience in situations like that too. So again, so now we have like this long, kind of obey God all the time, always. Obey the government at all times, provided that they are not you know, directly contradicting the law of God or maybe indirectly contradicting the law of God or provided that they're not, uh, you know, it's not some sort of governmental overreach or oppression or abuse or exploitation. The catch is with all, like, so now, like, the more loopholes you add in, you, the more that it calls for wisdom and humility and honesty. Because if you open the door too much, if you start practicing civil disobedience too much, and if you have too many loopholes, then you basically end up where you're justified to break any law you don't want because you don't think you should have to follow it, right? Tax rate's too high, that's oppressive, that's overreach, right? Uh, you know, they're just going to waste my money on bureaucracy and red tape, right? You've just now reasoned your way into directly disobeying a direct command of Jesus. What are, you know... Seat belts, speed limits, fire codes, zoning restrictions, right? Laws about how to treat employees, minimum wage, conditions in the work. Right? You could kind of convince your. It, it would. I mean, if you're like me, you think a lot about a lot of things, and you can convince yourself of pretty much anything to say, "I don't have to follow that." Like, there's all these loopholes now. I don't have to to do it, which is why it's kind of incumbent upon us not to think out of selfishness and kind of in a silo where we can convince ourselves of anything that we want, but rather to be led by the Holy Spirit and to think with humility and in the context of a Christian community. So as a, as a normal pattern, whenever possible, to the best of our ability, we should obey all the laws of the civil government, whether we like them or not. If they require us to sin, then we don't. If they are oppressive or overreaching or an excessive abuse of power, then maybe don't. But those, those don'ts should be the exception and not the rule. They should be where we land after consulting with mature believers and thinking carefully and not where we just default to because we don't like something. This should be the result of years of study, pursuing the heart of God, listening to wise counsel, rather than some idiosyncratic opinion or, or preference. And the reason why we should default toward and, and strive to obey the civil government, even when we don't like it, even when we don't think that we should have to, the reason why we should seek to obey the civil government at all times as best as we can is because that's what Jesus did. We read a couple of verses from 1 Peter 2. 
immediately after it, he continues. He says, the reason why I want you to obey the civil government, even when it's unjust, the reason why I want you to do that is because you, for this, you've been, you've been called to this. You've been called to obey the government, and for this reason, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Jesus committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By the wounds of Jesus, we have been healed. We were like straying sheep, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Jesus submitted to earthly authorities that he did not agree with. Earthly authorities that were unjust. Christians are to be model citizens and obey the government whether they want to or not because that's what Jesus... Jesus left his throne in heaven. Jesus was born into this world as a child. He grew up submitting to the authority of his mom and dad. He worked for years doing, as a carpenter, difficult physical labor. Again, he was the victim of governmental overreach. He was accused of breaking laws that were unjust and unrighteous. And through all of it, he submitted... He obeyed, he suffered, and he endured. And ultimately, Jesus was nailed to a cross, suspended in midair, paid the penalty for the sins of his people, satisfied the wrath of God that was meant for you and for me. And he made a way for us to be saved, spared from God's fury and punishment and reconciled into his glorious loving presence. And that is what we remember when we celebrate communion together. Remember that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus secured our salvation. He purchased it with his death and his resurrection. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he'd given thanks and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're a Christian, we invite you to remember the truth of the gospel and to celebrate the truth of the gospel with us this morning. Come forward. Uh, during the last song, take the elements, pray, do business with God, confess, repent, receive, rejoice, partake. If you're not a Christian, we ask you not to take communion. Instead, we invite you to take Christ. We invite you to turn from your sin and to trust in him to save you, knowing that he will and that he will never, ever cast you out. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the glory of Christ, for the sufficiency 
of Christ's death on the cross for us and His resurrection from the dead. Lord, we pray that You would empower us through the Holy Spirit to trust in Jesus and obey Him. Lord, we pray that You would empower us to be godly citizens and to obey the government and to respect it and to honor it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.